One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm going to do that again. No, keep going. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. It's hilarious. It's the funniest thing anyone's uh. ever heard. <laughs> hey, that's Sadiac, and I'm Cordiac. I'll, oh, take, I'll take it from here. It's fine. Thanks. Yeah, you should just do this one, apparently. <laughs> we are sisters. We are your hosts. We. Some, somebody's got a ticket tickled their funny bone earlier apparently <laughs> i know i hear this case is really really awful so I oh my god we yeah. should get through the giggles now so we're not yeah this might be have... the worst case we've ever covered oh, heads good. up yeah oh, fyi okay lots of nervous uncomfortable laughing from horror maybe so if anybody laughs uh, during this episode it's because we're deeply uncomfortable yeah. not because we think it's funny because it's really not funny i do feel like i've gotten my nervous giggling under control the podcast has helped me realize that's something I do. I would agree with you. Yep. Yeah. So good. Thanks, everybody. Well, I'm going to try to take it to the limit today. All right. So we'll see. Let's this see is what the happens. ultimate test. Yes. This is the case of Charlie Chopoff. I don't even like that at all. Like, no. Not for a second. No. It's such a horror movie. I mean, the whole yeah. thing is such a horror movie, and it makes me wonder if horror movies weren't based on this. So you guys let me know after we're done. So when I first started uh, to read about this case, I was honestly so shocked that very few other podcasts or shows or movies had covered it. And then I realized it was because there's almost no coverage of this case. It's mm -hmm. one of those that every article is the same. All the information is super limited, but it's an extremely shocking and disturbing case. And so after some soul searching, I decided that it's one that we should cover uh, one of the problems, I think, with this case, this, uh, these events occurred in the 70s, and all of the victims but one were young black boys, mm. um, and the fourth victim was a young Puerto Rican boy. Bummer. Yeah. Um, all the crimes took place uh, near Harlem in New York City, which in the se up until very recently was very, very poor and sort of, you know, forgotten part of the city. Right. I've also read that the coverage of the case is often inconsistent and that facts aren't always correct. Uh, so I've done my best to pull for the most reputable sources. And again, I mean, this is just one of those stories that everybody should know. You say Charlie Chopoff and everyone's like, oh my God, that was the craziest case. So let's let's make that happen, guys. Let's get this case out there. Yeah, it sort of 
seems like maybe the Atlanta Monster case has yes. always been more well known, but yes. I feel like just recently that one has become more popular to talk about. So I would say the same thing. I mean, I don't think anybody had heard about that until like the podcast, and obviously, um, Mind Hunter mm-hmm. covered it. Thank God, which I still find very surprising because it's such a frustrating and inconclusive and horrible case. I'm really proud of them for covering that one. I think we talked about that before, but yeah, let's solve that fucking case. And then this one. Right. So before we start, major, big time, hugest ever trigger warning we've ever issued. Serious violence against children, sexual assault. It's awful. So Uh. be forewarned. In March of 1972, eight-year-old Douglas Owens went missing after he left to run errands for his family. He was found very soon after on a rooftop just a couple of blocks from his home. He had been stabbed 28 times. His shoes were removed and placed near his body. There was inconclusive evidence of sexual assault, and his genitals were mostly removed. Oh, God. Eight years old. Eight, and the tiniest baby. On April 20th, 1972... An unnamed 10-year-old boy was, again, on his way to run an errand at a nearby shop when he met a, quote, olive-skinned stranger around his mid-30s who was thin, had bad skin, and a distinctive mole on his left cheek. The boy was extra intelligent for his age and was also able to pick up that the man was, quote, right-handed, walked with a limp, had foul breath, and stood approximately 5 foot 7 inches tall. Wow. I know. That's a lot of detail. Yes, especially for a 10-year-old. Good boy. Good job. The man said his name was Michael and offered the boy 50 cents to follow him. The man then removed the boy's shoes, brutally raped and stabbed him, removed his genitals, and took them with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. He then moved the boy from the roof of his building to an interior hallway where he was found soon after by a neighbor. Remarkably... The boy lived through the assault. Oh, my God. Yeah. And while he was deeply traumatized by the encounter, he was able to give the police the description. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy he lived and also sort of horrified that he lived I through know. that. Like, I know. I don't wish death on anyone, but my God. I know. That's like, what does something. that do to you? Like, no. He, no. No. You that's can't. probably the worst thing you can imagine living through, honestly. Uh, no. Yeah. One. Yeah. I know I tried to find more information about him and see if there's any follow-ups or any. Of course, I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't want anybody to know anything about my life ever, but I couldn't find anything about him. Well, good for him for not only surviving that, but for remembering so many details. Yeah, no, incredible, incredible. Um, The victim's genitals were later recovered in a park by the police who found a group of children playing with them. Oh, my God. Stop it. I know. It's not... The the bandit has been ripped off from this point on. It's kind of more the same just a couple more times. But that's... Yes, that's the worst part by far. Almost exactly six months later, on October 23rd, 1972, a nine-year-old boy named Wendell Hubbard asked his father if he could buy a candy at a local shop, and his father gave him a quarter to do so. He left around 5.45 p.m., And at around 9.45 p.m., a group of children found his body on a roof. His shoes had been removed, he'd been sodomized, stabbed between 17 and 19 times, and castrated. A week after this murder, a small blurb was posted in a local paper, but it would be almost a year before any major coverage of the case would begin. 
What the fuck? So let's just imagine for a moment if three young white boys had been horribly assaulted in New York City. Like, they would shut the city, burn it down until they figured out who did this. So these three boys were assaulted, two of them murdered, all of them mutilated. Yep. And they just, like, this local paper put a tiny blurb about it. And other than that, that, nothing. Yes. Almost a year to the day that Douglas Owens went missing, nine-year-old Luis Ortiz went to the store to purchase bread and milk for his mother around 8 p.m. It's been confirmed that he was able to complete his purchase, but when he didn't return home promptly, his mother immediately called the authorities who searched overnight for the boy with no results. At around 1 p.m. the next day, a woman was taking her trash to the dumpster and found Luis's body in a basement stairwell of a building just a block away from the location where the boy who survived had been attacked. Once again, Luis had been sodomized, stabbed repeatedly, and castrated. This time, several neighbors reported seeing Luis with a stranger just before his disappearance, and police were able to pull together a description. A thin, olive-skinned man, around five foot seven, in his mid-thirties. The only difference this time was that no one reported a mole on his cheek, but did report, quote, black marks on his chin. Police also spoke to a neighbor who said a man had approached her nine-year-old son and offered him a free bike to help him with an errand. So the boy was terrified of his mother and said he'd have to get permission from her. And the next day, the mother instead went to the location they'd agreed to meet. And she told the man to stay the hell away from her son or she'd call the police. (laughs) These are one of those. Yes. One of those situations where it's good to be an overprotective mother. Shit, Yeah. Because I would be the kind of mother who would be like, it's fine, you know, these things don't happen. No, this mom Mm -hmm. saved her kid's life. She reported that the man was olive-skinned, likely Hispanic, and spoke with what she described as a Dominican accent. Police made a composite sketch of the man based on the mother's testimony, and the case finally started receiving media attention. Good. I know. I'm surprised, too, with how brutal these crimes were, that there wasn't more, like, people didn't hear... The boys, you know, or like so many things. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, and New York City is so loud, especially right. you know Harlem in the seventies. It's just a very raucous, crowded place. So, I don't yeah. know where he would have been able to pull off a crime like this, especially kind of in daytime. You know, these are like early evenings when these boys went missing. So, right, I have no idea, but yeah, yeah, I'm just. I'm- still i'm reeling over here a little bit like yeah that yeah it's the most horrifying quote on march 10th four days after his death protesters staged demonstration at the 24th precinct on west 100th street angry that the nypd had failed to devote more resources to finding the predator in their midst yeah yes it's fucking insane yeah Thanks to the protests, the NYPD finally assembled a task force dedicated to finding the predator killing young boys in their community. It's just like, why would it require protests at the precinct to assemble a task force? Like one Kyron Horman, for example, this one little boy goes missing and it's all the whole entire world can talk about for months. Right. You know, all these little boys go missing and mutilated and... Like, the NYPD doesn't do a goddamn thing about it, except for look for them and then be like, well, there they are, moving on, you know? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's horrifying. Yeah. 
The task force held meetings with the public. They distributed the sketch widely and, quote, a local class even made a video warning other children to stay away from strangers. The task force interviewed over 150 suspects and even reached out to Interpol in case they could help uncover an international child molester who could have been involved, which sounds kind of crazy to me. I mean, I think they use that as an example of how the police did a lot of work, but I'm like... <laughs> so taking really? big leaps. Yeah, like what? we don't it's, unless there's evidence, but yeah, a Hispanic point, man in seems... Harlem in the '70s in New York. I think he probably lives nearby. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the precinct was inundated with calls, including a call from a woman in the Bronx who said that the sketch looked just like a man she knew named Erno Soto, who was chronically mentally ill and in treatment in an institution at the time of the call. Police visited Soto's wife, who explained that he was around six foot one, so it's much taller than the man described by witnesses. They also learned that he'd been locked up at the Ward Islands Manhattan Psychiatric Center at the time uh, the surviving boy had been attacked, so they'd ruled him out as a suspect. Mm-hmm. As news of the case grew, and the killer was the topic of all conversation across the neighborhood, children started calling the predator among them, Charlie Chopoff. That's so creepy. So creepy! In August of 1973, seven-year-old Stephen Cropper was hanging out in front of a public pool with his friend, asking people passing by for spare change. At one point, a slender Hispanic man with a limp approached the boys and chatted with them for a bit. Stephen was reported being seen with the same man around 3.30 p.m., but would never be seen alive again after that. At 5.30 p.m., a woman found Stephen's body on the roof of her building. His shoes were removed and placed near his body, and a large X had been carved in his chest, most likely post-mortem. He had an additional large gash down his arm, and the razor used to create the cuts was found under his body. Unlike the other cases, there was no evidence of molestation or mutilation this time. Despite the shift in the killer's M.O., police concluded that Stephen must have been killed by the same perpetrator because the victims were also similar. Stephen's death didn't include stabbing, sodomy, or castration, and occurred a hundred blocks from the other attacks. An unnamed NYPD officer said, quote, the probability that the same man did all four crimes is fantastic, which is mm-hmm. the craziest thing I've ever heard. Right. I mean, granted, you know, this is when they were just starting to profile serial killers, but of course the same man did all four crimes. Right. Right? I mean, this one, the MO is different, but... Not enough that I would completely rule it out. I would just assume that he was, like, experimenting with new things. Right. You know what I mean? Not distracted, but, uh... Well, yes. To your point, the other major commonality that was that Stephen's shoes had also been taken off and were found near his body, indicating that maybe the attacker had intended to sexually assault him, but had been forced to kill him sooner if Stephen had tried to flee. Right. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, right. Yeah. He tried to flee or was interrupted. Right. Might get caught. Yep. The other theory was that his murder, of course, was carried out by a copycat killer. Stephen's brother, Christopher, said later in an interview for the New York Daily News, quote, it affected everyone. It split the whole family up. The tragedy of Stephen's death is not only did we have to deal with him dying, we had to deal with the rest of us dying. God. I know. A week after Stephen's murder, a 30-year-old man named Daniel Olivo was named as the first suspect in the case after being arrested for raping a 5-year-old boy in a park in the Bronx. 
He lured the young boy to a secluded area by offering to play ball, and the boy managed to escape after the attack and alert his father. God, what is wrong with people? I know. While Olivo did match some characteristics of the eyewitness sketch, police were unable to link him to any of the other murders, and he was eventually dropped as a suspect. Soon after that, a man named El Gonzalez was apprehended after someone called him in for looking like the suspect in the composite sketch. Sounds like he was just um, applying for a job. And somebody was like, that's the guy. (laughs) None of the witnesses could confirm that he was the man that they'd seen previously, so police moved to set him free. Unfortunately, a mob had formed at the station, having been alerted by the press of his existence. Quote, the horde was unmoved when an NYPD spokesperson grabbed a bullhorn. Quote, this is not the man. Go home, officers announced in English and in Spanish. But law enforcement's entreaties were met only with jeers and projectiles from the crowd. The mob, quote, climbed over the police barriers and scaled roofs and police cars. The police decided to dress Gonzalez up as an officer and sneak him out through the crowd. An officer dressed in civilian clothing was also escorted out by police to act as bait. Oh, no. Yeah, well, they, like, yeah, just pretended a cot. Exactly. (laughs) And it totally worked, despite the fact that the uniform did not fit Gonzalez. And we'll post pictures, but these people climbed the walls. I mean, they were, like, teeming over the edges. And who can fucking blame them? Yeah. I mean, it's It's so scary. So scary. It's also very reminiscent of what's happening right now. It's like, if you don't protect your people, if you don't take care of them, then they're going to come for you. Right. Police continued an exhaustive search for their killer over several months, including, um, and these are all direct quotes from the true crime database. This guy writes like a goddamn wizard. And so I just decided to directly quote him because it's just great. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the things that they did, obtaining the mailing list of a chicken hawk magazine and interviewing local subscribers. I don't know if they actually referred to it as a chicken hawk magazine, but uh, (laughs) I left it in. Casing the area, methadone clinics, perchance the killer was a loose-lipped addict. Good use of the word, perchance. (laughs) Sorting through 9,000 police records of known child molesters. Knocking on thousands of apartment doors searching for witnesses and clues. Distributing more than 1,500 flyers featuring the suspect's composite to police departments throughout the country. Canvassing the local bike shops to see if anyone recognized the man who'd promised uh, the one boy a free bicycle. Quote, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, but needles have been found in haystacks before, said Sergeant Edmund Klan in the New York Times. So profiles for serial killers hadn't been officially adopted by the FBI in 1973, but police enlisted NYPD psychologist Dr. Harvey Schlossenberg to help them identify the kind of person who would commit these horrible crimes. He, quote, theorized the perpetrator was a self-hating homosexual who endeavored to emasculate his victims as an antidote to his same-sex yearnings by turning little boys into little girls, the doctor said. Mm -hmm. The Slayer believed he could negate his own homosexuality. Uh, Nope. Dr. Slossenberg also detected erotic undertones in the assailant's penetration-heavy modus operandi. Quote, symbolically, it's an orgasm. It's really quite sexual. I would agree with the latter half of that statement, but probably not so much the former. I mean, you know, maybe the guy was a homosexual, who knows, but... Right. That's beside the point. Yeah. You know, it's like... Yeah. Early psychoanalysis. I don't think they 
Yeah. Had a very different perspective on homosexuality in the 70s. Right. I mean, it was a mental illness in, in their minds. Yeah. After about nine months of searching, all leads began to dry up, and the NYPD task force was quietly disbanded. After oh. nine months. Nine That's months. Crazy. That's crazy. Luckily, on May 25th, 1974, the police got a huge break. A man named Erno Soto, who, if you'll remember, had been questioned after Luis Ortiz was murdered, but mm -hmm. he was too tall, so they crossed him off the list. <laughs> he was arrested after attempting to kidnap a nine-year-old boy with dark skin. Quote, he was walking along, holding the kid up over his head, holding him up in the sky, and the kid was screaming, said oh NYPD <laughs> homicide detective Ed Gomez. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a poor attempt to kidnap a kid. Right. <laughs> here, here he is. Yeah. Well, Everybody. you'll learn. This uh, Soto character is not... Right. He's not all there. So as detectives investigated Soto, they uncovered a ton of information that hadn't been covered the first time around. Soto's wife and father lived in Harlem in the Lower East Side, both areas where the boys' bodies had been found. And in fact, his father lived right around the corner from where Stephen Cropper had been murdered. He had an 11-year criminal history, including burglary and narcotics, but no record of child molestation or violent crimes. He had been institutionalized at the time of Stephen Cropper's murder, but further investigation realized that he'd been out on a weekend pass, so could have committed the crime. Oh, no. Additional investigation revealed that Soto had also been caught sneaking out of the center several times. Oh, Jesus. So very well could have committed additional murders. Mm-hmm. Quote, periodically committed to various asylums since 1965, Soto wasn't covertly mentally ill. He was psychotic, a raving maniac babbling incessantly about religion and careening with a shambolic gait as he crooned along to the voices in his head. Disheveled and with subpar hygiene, quote, slovenly was the tactful descriptor favored by the New York Times. Soto was described in hospital records as being, quote, so out of it he can't give useful information. According to the New York Times, he was initially committed because he, quote, became violent with grandiose religious delusions. Mm. So the guy was a total fucking nutter. Right. Despite his clear mental illness, police were able to question Soto about the murders, and he actually admitted to killing Stephen Cropper, but would not take credit for any of the others. Oh, okay. He was also, and remember, Stephen was the one who was carved with the X, so the... Right. The one that was different. Further away. Mm-hmm. And a different style of murder. He was also unable to provide any details about poor Stephen's attack, but a confession was enough evidence for the police to move on from the case, although I did read that the case still remains, all the cases remain officially unsolved. Oh, no. So... Soto was found criminally insane, and, quote, the two psychiatrists who testified at Mr. Soto's trial said that though he was, quote, pleasant, cooperative, responsive, and coherent, he was a dangerous schizophrenic who attacked for, quote, religious and ritualistic purposes. He was committed to a maximum security mental health facility, and so the only information regarding motive or evidence is what people have pulled together over the years. The main theory for why he could have committed the murders is that Soto was separated from his wife for several years and eventually suggested that they try to reconcile. When they got back together, he learned that she'd had a child with a black man. Um, Soto and his wife were Puerto Rican. And while he pretended to be okay with his new stepchild, 
As the kid's eighth birthday rolled around, Soto's behavior became more and more unpredictable to the point that he was committed to the institution. So, let's talk about the things that are in favor of Soto having committed the murders. The phone tipster who initially mentioned Soto believed he looked like the sketch composite, so he was tipped, the police were tipped off twice about him. Right. Um, he was 33 years old when he was arrested, and all of the witnesses estimated that the age range was between 30 and 45. He had bad skin, which was reported by all of the witnesses. He also had very poor hygiene and probably had terrible breath, which was noted by the boy who'd survived the attack. Some of the things that are working against the theory that he committed the murders. He was six foot one inches tall, so considerably taller than the 5'7 to 5'10 that was reported by witnesses. Uh, he was also left-handed, and the boy who survived was pretty adamant that his attacker was probably right-handed. Soto had a Puerto Rican accent, and the woman, the mother, who had met with the man said his accent was Dominican. He also did not have any black marks on his chin or a mole on his left cheek, and he did not limp, although people said he kind of did shuffle because he was pretty addicted to narcotics. Right. So the witnesses who had seen Stephen Cropper just before his murder did identify Soto as the man that they had seen, but the boy who had survived his attack was adamant that Soto was not his attacker and stuck by his account that Soto was much taller than the man who'd ultimately ruined his life. Wow. Yeah. So again, Soto confessed to killing Stephen Cropper the witnesses who saw Stephen right before he died said, yes, that's the man we saw him with. And then the boy who survived the attacks that fall into the other right. range, you know, he said, no, that's no not way. the guy who did this at all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1993, Soto did ask to be released on, quote, compassionate grounds due to a terminal illness, which confined him to a wheelchair and left him dependent on daily dialysis. The public erupted when they heard about his potential release, and Stephen Cropper's brother said, quote, My parents were never notified. We didn't know anything until we read the Daily News series on Friday. I know my mother was shocked, and my father, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. I thought he was going to die right in my arms because he was crying and was very upset. Soto was far from a model inmate and had been caught assaulting a staff member, sneaking marijuana, attempting to slit a doctor's throat, and threatening Whoa. to, quote, <laughs> Yeah, jab the eyes out of another patient. His release was denied, but as he is a mental patient and not a prison inmate, he is eligible to reapply again every two years. Wow. Is he still alive? He is, yes. As far as wow. anyone can tell, he's still alive. The one thing that everyone agrees on in this case, the one thing that's conclusive is that the killings of these boys did stop after Soto was taken into custody. Hmm. And that is the all-around horrible, tragic, fucked-up uh, case of Charlie Chopoff. I want to I know who did it for sure. <laughs> I want to know. know who did it for sure. We need wow. to know who did it for sure. I mean, if that's not a case to reopen, I don't know what Seriously, the fuck would it's be. it's not too late. Well, it's not closed. It's, if it's not a case to get to pick it back up and dust I mean, blow up look. blow off the files open Seriously. them up let's right? look at the clothes there's got to be dna evidence yes there's got to be yes let's find the swabs let's get the yes. shirts let's do this yeah there's yes 
let's get this case reopened because I and most people, all of the media really pushed that Erno Soto was the guy, of course, because he confessed mm-hmm. to the one murder. They also a lot of people were like his confession could have been coerced. He was mentally right. severely mentally ill. Right. You know, on drugs, et cetera, et cetera. So even that seems a little shaky. Well and he said he didn't know any he couldn't remember any of the details of the murder he confessed to. Yeah. Absolutely. And that seems very suspicious, right? Very suspicious. Yes. So it's one of those, you know, it's just like every other case ever with a false confession where they got the confession and they were like, done, got our guy. And then the media really pushed to have this be the end of it. Yeah. Yep. And that was it. I don't think he killed those kids. No, it sure doesn't seem like it. There's got to be evidence. Like, yep. Yep. And how I still can't believe that you could get away with murdering children on rooftops and... In, in the daytime, like between 3.30 and 5.30 in the afternoon. Yeah, or like 8.45 on a, you know, in the spring and summer, it's still pretty light out Yeah, around that time. In a city, in a densely packed city where everybody's out on the street. Right. I know. There's got wow. to be more information. I also just wonder, you know, they say they did this exhaustive search, but I just, I question that too. Because right. if they had, you know, it's like... um What's his head story? Marty Tankliff. It's like all these right. people, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we talked to everybody. And then the private investigator goes back and they're all like, oh, yeah, I told I told him that he's best friends with the cop. And, you know, all this stuff, right. all this information, all this evidence that had not been compiled. I just believe that that it be more. Yes. Yes. That they didn't work very hard on it. You know, I think they had a lot on their plates. Harlem in the 70s was a pretty intense New York City in the 70s. The whole goddamn island was a crazy place to be, you know. So I think that little baby black boys were the least of their priorities. And that's not okay. Fucking awful. I know. It's It's like one of the worst serial killer stories I've ever heard in my life. And I'd never heard it before. Right. No, that's awful. You know what I mean? Let's reopen it. I mean, let's let's start a petition. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. Who, which DA is up next? Who's up for re-election? I mean, we're going to defund the whole fucking system. So right. in the meantime, let's figure out which DA is up for re-election and push That's this right. one onto their plate. Seriously. Right? Wow. Well, I mean, thank you. I know. <laughs> I know. I really, like, did soul search. It was like, <sighs> I wonder if the crimes are so fucking heinous that... Right. It's a hard one to talk about. You know, it's a hard one to... It just feels really awful and sort of disrespectful, but I think it's more awful and disrespectful to let this killer be inconclusive. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So, there you go. I'm sorry, you guys. I... The next one I'll do is going to be about a bunny who (laughs) attempts to murder a goose but by loving it too hard <laughs> interspecial <laughs> love gone wrong okay there you go right yeah so, i don't think i don't think people are coming here for the feel goods so. i kind of feel like people who like true crime and horror are also the same people who watch like interspecial videos on the dodo like i do mm-hmm. i think that that like we that those things kind of live in the same part of the brain for some reason you know yeah. what i mean you know what Ryan and I have been doing what? at bed, bedtime 
What? <laughs> we call them our night, our night, night stories. <laughs> he found this amazing uh, pimple video lady. She, she's like, oh yeah, esthetician, right? Is but it, it's not. You know how some of them are really over the top and gross. Yeah. This one is amazing. She just, it's like, she's just going around getting all the pimples and it's so soothing. So we watch like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes a night before bed. <laughs> Dude, trust me. I could watch uh, a pimple video for the rest of my life. I will have him. So there's one in particular that's just amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's the same? So animal videos, true crime yeah. and pimp. Are you guys pimple vid people or not right. pimple people? Right. You know? Tell us. Yep. Uh, I guess it's such a thing that this is something that people do before bed, that there's one person who does her pimple popping videos and puts like bedtime music on top of oh, them. Oh <laughs> my God. Brilliant. I haven't watched that one yet. Genius. But... It's so satisfying. Yeah, it's really, it really is very and soothing. so strange. We're all like, we're, you know, why do I like that? I just primates. love it. Yeah, we're primates. Yeah. Yep. Well, Keep it, we want to pick at each other's nits. <laughs> <laughs> I know if I um, was married to somebody who wasn't a pimple person, I would don't know what I would do. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've like dated I a few not non pimple people, and it was just torturous. Torture. I'm also yeah. like when I see those pimple videos, I'm like, who let that person walk around like that? I like, know that's what. Yeah. You know, yes. like how you do not have one person in your life that. It's just attacking you and holding you down, like, <laughs> forcing you to let them pop your zits. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Uh, um, well, like, we could talk about this for the rest of the night. Or we could talk about two major breakthroughs that occurred just this time. afternoon big in the world of They Will Kill. <laughs> One thing, first thing, my dear friend Kate, who's a chef, who's amazing, who's a listener long, f- from the beginning has uh, volunteered to be the elote chef for the They Will Kill barbecue elote road trip coven party 2021. And she's going to make Ecolite elote (laughs) for you. And uh, guys, trust me when I say you want to come to this party if Kate has anything to do with it. So that's the first set of news. Yep. The second set of news is that we got a message. Well, I guess it was a comment on Instagram <laughs> from somebody who said that she thought that I called Sadie a maniac. 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 Not maniac. Maniac. <laughs> and so your name has been born. Woo! I mean, it's the kind of thing that you have to explain it every time you say it, but you guys are officially... <laughs> The maniacs. (laughs) (laughs) What was her name? I'm going to pull that up really quick so we can give her credit because we knew it would come. It's so great. I mean, it's so funny. Duh. (laughs) Sit in front of our faces all this time. It's also funny because Sadie's oldest, I think he probably got it from me, but I always say like, quit being such a maniac. And so it's a common phrase between the two of us. (laughs) Uh, April 777. Thank you Thank for you. accidentally hearing me say something that I did not say and yep. then sharing it. And then, <laughs> oh, maniac. Maniacs, you bunch of maniacs. <laughs> uh, I saw our mother earlier today. She yeah. had the boys and brought them home. And I was like, Mom, we have names for our listeners. And I was like, it's maniac X. 
like, maniacs. And then I got distracted and left the room to probably put out a fire or something and yeah. came back. She was like, I just figured it out. That's funny. <laughs> I know. Like I said, it's maniac. a joke that you have to describe. You get it? Like maniac, like maniacs. you like, we're right. maniac. You're... Anyway, anyway, I'm willing. I'm willing so to funny. commit. I think it's so cute too and yeah. funny, and I will, I'm willing to commit to describing what I'm saying every time I say it. Also, it looks crazy when you write it, so it's right. It's kind of yep. Every, all around, it'll have to be like maniacs. M a n i e c k s is in parentheses. You know, like maniac, but with heck. <laughs> Get it, guys. <laughs> Oh, God. We're just the queens of snappy marketing. <laughs> <laughs> the other good news from the day is that earlier I was talking to my business partner. We talk every day. He lives in Portland. My business is still important. And hi, Donna. She's my other business partner. She listens. But James, my there's two of them. James does not listen. Donna does. Hi, hi, Donna. Um, James and I were talking, and <laughs> I stand up and I'm like, holy shit. I have COVID. My leg, my one right thigh was super numb, super tingly. And so I was doing that thing where I was talking to James still and it was like the conversation was winding down. So I didn't really have to pay attention to the details. It was more like pleasantries. I'm like, ah, ha, 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 yep. Mm -hmm. Google, Google, <laughs> Google COVID symptoms. And I was like, fuck, okay, this is it. Okay, it's okay. I can do this. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> put on some underwear I hadn't worn in a really long time and they were like a little bit too tight and I realized they were cutting <laughs> off my carotid artery and I just... <laughs> so you guys I cured my COVID by changing my underwear yeah, I made I pulled through you'll all be happy to know god damn this fucking disease if I had a nickel for every Everything. time I cured it of myself in the last four months Yep, me too. I've <sighs> never had allergies like this. I'm I'm certain Same. that I am causing the yes. allergic reaction by thinking so hard about it. I could not agree more. I think that it's a psychosomatic like a response. Yes, yeah, like inflammation caused by yeah. My allergies are horrifying this year. Everything is, and it's like yeah. either they are always like that. I just don't care because there's not a you know debilitating virus looming over us at all times or they are just really bad this year but i think they are really bad this year right and also so. also i've been watching is it called say i do or surprise oh it? yeah mm -hmm. say i do oh I think. my holy shit you guys yeah oh so my good. god if you're not watching say i do on netflix and you have a heart and a soul stop what you're doing i'm sorry ridiculousness i think i have a new favorite television show it's so good it's the same team that does queer eye and oh my god <laughs> i don't know yeah. i don't know what they do like what their formula is but it's men surprising their spouses ma male or female spouses with surprise weddings and i love wedding stuff already but then you get these like beautiful gay men helping them with the surprise and talk about a fucking sob fest so i look yeah. like garbage right now i look like total shit because i've been crying for like three to four hours every night watching this show <laughs> that's really sweet that's oh really my sweet god show. and you start out and you're like oh it's not as good as queer eye yes just yes 
Yeah. The three don't have quite as much chemistry, but they have plenty of chemistry and they're so beautiful and they're geniuses and it's so good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. I just finished the third episode. Which one is that? Um, the King and Queen. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah, it was so good. Ugh. It's beautiful people. I know. So But I also because of you know, all these shows are are filmed pre COVID. I know, I know. The, the third episode has a taco wall. I know. Where they put all the tacos on the wall, where, yep. which sounds weird, but it would like totally worked yeah. the whole time. I was just like, oh my god, that's never going to happen again in the history of the world. I know, I know. And there I will watched... never be another taco wall. <laughs> I know. I'm like watching people hug and stuff yeah. and sort of wincing every time they do. <laughs> yeah. It'll come back. Yeah. I know. I also think about how long it's going to be for before they could shoot another season, but you know what? Right. We're resilient. We'll figure it out in the meantime, and I have no yep. doubt this shit's going to pass eventually, but eventually. in the meantime, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed by saving the world or fighting a virus, watch Say I Do. It's this sweet, sweet salve that your soul needs right now. That's right. Real quick, we're going to play a promo from our friend, Emily, with Morbidology. You all know Morbidology. You love yeah. her, right? She's uh-huh. getting pretty big. Got that cool accent. Covers yep. those cases. Mm-hmm. True crime author. She's mm-hmm. a badass. Yeah, she really is. Amazing website. I was like, who's the web designer? Yeah, she's it's not me because <laughs> our website does not look that nice. <laughs> she seems like a very generous person. Maybe she'll give us a little help out. Uh, <laughs> Question help <us>. mark? <laughs> Uh, so enjoy it. Morbidology is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by me, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Cults Uncovered, and co-author of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Cases Uncovered. 911 emergency. My son shot my husband. I need an ambulance. He's bleeding. Using investigative research combined with primary audio, including 911 calls, interviews, and trial testimony, Morbidology takes a look at some of the world's most heinous murders. Do you know why you're here? For a uh, home invasion gone terribly wrong. Listen to Morbidology now on Apple, Spreaker, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever else you get podcasts. All right, you guys. So you know where to find us at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at They Will Kill. Go to our website, theywillkill.com. And gmail us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, subscribe. And thank you, AJ, for our beautiful music. Thank you very much. And remember, don't go out there being maniacs. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's it. Put that right on the marketing list of keepers Uh, don't go out there being maniacs (laughs) (laughs) or do it's really kind of up to you (laughs) look it's a new world there's no rules be a maniac if you want to (laughs) we love you so much we love you so much and by me i mean let me clarify like a cool maniac or like a love maniac not like a murder one right yeah we don't like those no not like sociopath people person maniac but those aren't Definitely. maniacs, those are maniacs. That's a great right. It's a huge major difference. Yeah, see here here you guys maniac, maniac. You hear it? <laughs> right, you get it. Right? Yeah. We love you guys. We love you. Goodbye. Let's goodbye.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.